grace and peace to you from God, who is and was and is to come, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of kings on earth, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with all the saints. Amen.
of faith is the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead. He ascended in heaven, and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From this he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Be seated, please. This time I'd like to call on uh, our chairperson of stewardship and finance, um, Ralph um, Johnson, to come, and also he'll have an introduction to make as well. We are in the season of talking about our financial planning for next year and our commitment to the church. Good morning. Every year, just like clockwork, uh, autumn rolls around and football's in full swing and um, leaves begin to change colors and fall off the trees. And uh, Thanksgiving's just a few weeks away, and we begin to think about all the blessings that God has given us. Um, it's also the time of the year that uh, we conduct our stewardship campaign as we prepare our budget for, the, uh, for 2010. Well, today we begin our march towards uh, Consecration Sunday. The, on that day, we will make our uh, financial commitment for 2010. Um, in your bulletin today, you found an insert uh, that describes the philosophy that we have adopted at Memorial regarding, the, um, re regarding giving. Uh, many of you will be tempted to read that during the sermon, but please, uh, if you would, I'd like for you to take it home with you, read it, uh, hang it on your refrigerator door, and as we get closer to November the 22nd, I hope you'll prayerfully consider the question that you'll find in that insert. And that question is, what percentage of my income is God calling me to give? Now, each of the Sundays leading up to November the 22nd, uh, we've asked a layperson to speak for a few minutes on what stewardship means to them. And today, uh, we're glad to hear from Alan Lee. Alan? Good morning. I don't know about a few minutes, but uh, this is going to take just a second, I believe. <laughs> From one day to another, we hear of one less cross standing or one less prayer allowed. At Christmas, there's constant discussion as to whether symbols of the Christian faith should be allowed in public. Our society's priorities continue to shift away from God's church and its service. Some say the Christian faith is weakening. For memorial to stay strong, we as the people of this church have a responsibility to give to the church the work of this church. This is not restricted to tithing. Although tithing is very important, our responsibility should extend into our daily lives. 
We need to realize that any wealth in our possession is God's wealth that he has entrusted to us, both for our enjoyment and to use in his service. We all play a major role in memorial strength and growth. As Consecration Sunday approaches, let us all put our priorities in proper order, remembering that our lives and the things we possess are God, gifts from God, and he leaves it up to us to make responsible choices with both our time and our money. Stewardship is more than the money in the collection plate. It's everything we do after we say we believe. Thank you. And now I'd like to invite the children to come by the outside aisles if you can and come and join me for a few moments of sharing. Everybody full of candy? <laughs> Probably, right. I want to tell you about one of my heroes from when I was a child. I don't know that you can see that name very well because it's, for one thing, it's a signature, and for another thing, it's written on a baseball. But it says, Bobby Richardson, Yankees 55 to 66. That means 1955 to 66. During those years, um, I was a child and a teenager, and I played Little League Baseball. I hit three home runs, thank you very much, <clears throat> although they were all inside the park. I could run fast. I couldn't hit far, but I could run fast. And I played second base, just like Bobby Richardson did, and so he was one of my earliest heroes. And he turned out to be a real hero in lots of ways. Not only was he a fantastic ball player on a fantastic team, but he was um, a man who, who took a stand for Christ and talked about Jesus and what Christ meant in his life. And so he was a, a hero of mine for lots of reasons and remains so in my life and my memory today um, as I think back to my childhood. Um, so anyway, we all have heroes. I don't know who your hero is. Superman was another one of my heroes. But I never could fly. I could play baseball. Um, heroes are important to us. Heroes give us something to try to copy. I'm going to be like that. I'm going to be a good second baseman, I used to tell myself. Well, in the life of the church, the church decided that there were some important people who had lived who, who could be our heroes, and they kind of made them the Hall of Fame list. They called them saints, but they just were very, very wonderful, exemplary Christian people, and there have been a lot who have lived. The man that our church was founded by was a guy named uh, John Wesley and his little brother Charles Wesley. Charles was a singer and a musician and wrote lots of hymns. John Wesley was a great organizer 
who really said that we as Christians need to do what we say we're going to do. And so he didn't just talk about praying. He had a time every day. If you looked at your watch and said, uh, oops, it's 10 o'clock, that was prayer time perhaps for him. He put a time on his calendar every day to go visit hospitals and visit in prisons and take care of people. So he was a very practical, methodical man. That's where we get our name from. And he's one of our heroes. And there have been many, many others. I want you to think about some people that uh, are your heroes, whether they are alive or, or perhaps they're already dead. But people that, that to you, you look at them and you say, now that, that's a real Christian going there. That's a good thing to, to have an example, a saint. Just like I had my example of a good ball player and a good man, we can find our heroes and, and um, the church says those are heroes to be copied. They are our saints. So think about that. Let's uh, have a closing <coughs> prayer. Lord, we thank you for our heroes. We thank you for those people that inspire us to live lives just like them. We especially thank you for people like John Wesley and Charles and other saints of yours who lived good lives, examples for us to show us what a Christian should look like. Help us, Lord, to copy someone who is doing their best to copy Jesus. Then maybe the world will see Jesus in us. We pray in his name. Amen. invite you to join in the responsive reading, which is Psalm 24 on page 755, and it follows on the next page as well. Stand as you're able as we share this passage together responsively. <clears throat> the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. For God has founded it upon the seas. And established it upon the rivers. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? And who shall stand in God's holy place? Those who have clean hands and pure hearts. Who do not lift up their souls to what is false. And do not swear deceitfully. They will receive blessing from the Lord. And vindication from the God of their salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek the Lord. Who seek the face of the God of Jacob. Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the ruler of glory may come in. Who is the ruler of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty, the Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the ruler of glory may come in. Who is this ruler of glory? The Lord of hosts. Thank you. 
Be seated, please. Here now our epistle reading from Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 through 6a. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, now the dwelling of God is with men and he will live with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. And then he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Here ends the lesson. <coughs>
Let us join our hearts together in prayer. We are thankful, O Lord, for your Hall of Famers, the saints that we have known and loved, who now have departed this earth, who live at your side and in your home forevermore. Their memory is precious to us. We draw strength from remembering. Also, we shed tears from remembering. We're thankful for the story about the time that Jesus cried over the passing of a saint, a friend of his. So maybe we're in very good company when we shed our tears. And yet, Lord, we are comforted with the truth that those who trusted in you, who believed your promises, have now found those promises to all be true. And they stand for us as hope for our own futures. We see what it is to follow Jesus as we watch how John Wesley cared for the lost sheep around him. We see how a Christian reads and studies and believes the Bible when we think of the example given to us by Martin Luther. We think about those who lived at peace with nature around them and lived without many material blessings, but lived a blessed existence like St. Francis. We think about those early saints in the life of the church, James, Peter, John, and the others, who left everything, their possessions, their vocations, and their homes, not only to follow Jesus, but to take the word about Jesus into all their world. And their word has come all the way to us this day. For all the saints, we give you our thanks. It's a little bit troubling to us, Lord, as we look at ourselves to think that one day someone will look at our lives and find some saint-worthy things about us. We know that if there's any saintliness in us, it is through the workings of Jesus in our hearts and in our lives. But we do pray that we who are followers on earth might be so in tune with your spirit that we might live in such a way that attracts other people to the Lord Jesus, that they too might become God's saints. We pray in the name of Jesus, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. 
Let us now worship God by giving.
I was at the Beacon last night for supper because I wouldn't, couldn't find a Waffle House. <laughs> and a whole bunch of Clemson people came in. I was surprised that they were hungry after they'd eaten Coastal Carolina <laughs> the way they had. And then I went home and turned on the TV and cried for the first quarter. Would somebody please go out and wipe the smile off of Rosalind Pete's face this morning? <laughs> Other UT people. She's trying, aren't you? We're getting to an interesting time of year with the uh, football season. And hope your team is doing well. Here now our gospel reading from chapter 11 of John, verses 32 through 44. When Mary reached the place, where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus, once more, deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there's a bad odor, for he has been there four days. Then Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, Take off the grave clothes and let him go. Here ends the lesson. If you're wondering why they call it Halloween, it is because it is the een, the evening, before a hallowed day, All Saints Day. Since the saints were honored with a special day, it became the assumption that the evening before must belong to the opposite crowd, the unsaintly, the doomed, and thus we have all of our scary costumes and masks. But the church has always considered the end of the year an important time to reflect upon the lives of those who had departed uh, the planet, the, the church on earth, and joined the heavenly church triumphant during the previous year. I've always liked to be even more inclusive than that, however, to remember all that we've known in our lifetimes who have left us through death. It is good to remember all these saints. I can tell you 
Uh, I think I might can tell you something without getting uh, too big a lump in my throat. My daddy's birthday was three months after his death, and my mom told our children, Hillary and John, that um, they would go to the cemetery on granddaddy's birthday and put some flowers on his grave. Hillary was eight then, and John was five. His granddaddy had died on his fifth birthday, and John hadn't quite ever uh, come to grips with that, I don't think. But the kids thought they were going to go pick out their own flowers to put on the grave, and they were really disappointed when Grandmommy showed up with a floral arrangement. It was a blustery day in August uh, of that year, and as we walked back from my father's grave to the car, we walked through a storm of petals from flowers being blown all over that cemetery, just blowing right past us. And when we got back to the car, we noticed that John and Hillary had stayed behind. And I wondered what they were doing. Well, they were going around picking up those blown petals, gathering hands and arms full. And we watched as they went over and put those flowers on the granddaddy's grave. Uh, somehow God had supplied their need to have the flowers that they could give to their granddaddy. It was a very wonderful, special moment. Even though they were quite young, it was important that they remember someone who had been a blessing in their lives. And so it is for us on All Saints Day to remember those whose lives blessed us, who've made all the difference. Where would our lives be without those saints who have touched us? Well, that story took place in the cemetery. The gospel story today takes place in the cemetery. Jesus arrived during the days of the funeral. And I say days because there were days of weddings and celebration. When a couple got married, it lasted a long Talk about a long reception. And funerals were the same way. They were spread over days. We, were, we are told that Jesus wept. That's the shortest verse in the Bible. And back when we were children trying to memorize Sunday school uh, 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 scripture verses for our Sunday school teacher, we all hoped we got called on first that we could use that, you know, to show our teacher that we were memorizing things. Uh, Jesus wept. In every culture, it takes an awful lot to make a grown man cry. To make us really lose it and begin weeping and wailing uncontrollably, takes even more. But the death of a parent or a spouse or a very close friend is enough to make many of us men lose it. John tells us that Jesus was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. He wasn't just a little misty-eyed. A tear didn't just roll down his face. Jesus was about to totally lose his composure. I want you to stay with that image for a few minutes of the weeping Christ, of Jesus sobbing out loud with streams flooding down his face. Don't run away from this just because it makes you feel uncomfortable when a man cries. This picture tells us so very much about Jesus and also about God. Jesus wept in the presence of his friends who were also weeping because a brother and friend, Lazarus, had died. 
Jesus, who had no doubts about God's power, nor any questions about what God could do, even still for Lazarus, who believed that people lived on in heaven after death on earth, this man of inexhaustible faith wept. So the next time life knocks you off your feet and you find yourself criticizing yourself for your reactions, when you're tempted to tell yourself that a person with any real faith wouldn't be reacting as you are, please remember the weeping Christ. Jesus, the bravest, the strongest, the most faith-filled person who ever walked the earth, was the same one who was overcome with his own grief and the grief of his friends to the point where he wept uncontrollably and unconsolably. Please remember this and take some comfort. Also picture the weeping Christ as a reminder that when we cry, God cries with us. Jesus deeply feels our pain and our pain becomes his pain. Since Jesus' heart is a reflection of God's heart, remember that God was in Christ weeping with his children that day, sharing their pain and their sense of loss. Did you hear what some of the people said when they saw that Jesus was weeping? Look at how much Jesus loved Lazarus. The tears of Jesus tell us how very much he also loves us. Lutheran pastor, Reverend Phyllis Kirsten writes, what we see in Jesus is a reflection of the one Jesus calls Father. Jesus's tears and tortured emotions reflect God's agony and anger and tears at the ravaging of humanity by pain and death. The story of Jesus also is somewhat of a snapshot of our relationship with God in prayer. Mary and Martha had sent servants to find Jesus who was out of town because they needed him to come. Lazarus was sick. We send our servants the prayers that we pray up out of our hearts toward the throne of grace. But Jesus didn't answer the summons in a very timely manner and often it seems like God doesn't answer our prayers in a timely manner either, or at least not in a way we would expect that he would. Mary and Martha felt failed by Jesus, like Jesus had failed to take care of them. We sometimes feel like God has failed us, and we sometimes feel uncared for by God. Like those sisters who blamed Lazarus' death on Jesus' tardiness, don't we blame God when things beyond our control happen to us? When Jesus does arrive at Lazarus' tomb, Mary and Martha both pour out their heart of disappointment to him. Lord, if you'd just come, if you'd only been here, Lazarus would not be dead. Have you ever prayed a prayer like that? Ever expressed your disappointment to Almighty God? I want you to know it's okay to do so. It can be very therapeutic. Lord, where are you? Where were you when this happened? 
How could you let this happen? Are you there? Do you care? If your experience in prayer is ever disappointing, remember how broken Mary and Martha were when they felt like Jesus had failed them. You're not alone. There were many in that crowd in the cemetery that day who said, couldn't Jesus have done something about this to prevent Lazarus from dying? But when those accusing words of the friends fell on Jesus' ears, he responded with love, understanding, and compassion, just as God responds to us when we share our harsh, accusing words with him. In the midst of this pain and grief, Jesus wept. He felt the pain of his friend's loss, and that caused him to weep. He also felt the personal sense of loss over the death of his own personal friend, Lazarus. Whenever we are in moments of personal anguish, Jesus is in anguish with us. Whenever we cry, Jesus joins us in weeping. God always feels the pain of his children. Reverend Kirsten says, In the process of blaming, we miss seeing the most important reality of the Bethany graveyard. The presence there of the one who weeps unashamedly out of his love for Lazarus and us, who will act on our behalf. By his presence and shared grief, we can find strength. How blessed we are when we find ourselves in the presence of the weeping Christ. How blessed we are when, like Mary and Martha, we are surrounded by a circle of friends who also feel our pain and share that grief with us. And that's what the church is all about. You know where the Spartanburg main post office is across from Bethel Church? That was where my great-great-granddaddy's house was. Somewhere back there, my family had some money. It had disappeared before it got to my generation. But uh, my great-granddaddy's house was there. My mother was born nearby that home in 1916. Now, I want you to remember when that was. That was just half a century after the end of slavery. Fifty years, my great-grandfather, my great-great-grandfather, could remember slavery very well. Many of those former slaves continued living on the land by their former masters, working the farm, sharing the produce of the farm. Some of them became employed as cooks or nannies for the Americans of European descent. There was one in my great-grandfather's home, Aunt Caroline, was um, beloved by very many of those in the family, so beloved that my grandmother gave my mother that name. Caroline, after this nanny. One of the lessons that my grandmother learned as a child from Aunt Caroline was the value of Christian fellowship in times of grief. The bell at Aunt Caroline's church would ring, and she would stop whatever it was she was doing and put on her Sunday clothes and start walking from the house down to her church for the funeral. My grandmother would always ask, Aunt Caroline, 
who died? And Aunt Caroline would answer, child, I won't know till I gets there. It really didn't matter who it was. What mattered was that the community of faith would be gathering together to support the bereaved family, sharing their grief. When they did, Jesus stood among them, weeping with them. Jesus wept. Even though he knew that Lazarus was at, Jesus, at God's side in heaven, no longer sick or suffering, Jesus wept. Even though he knew what God's power in him could still do, Jesus wept. There was the general expectation in those days that they were living in the last days that would lead up to the end of the world and the resurrection. You know, we still find ourselves from time to time living in those days. Somebody called me last night, an old friend, and said, my wife wants to know. The Mayan calendar says there's no year after 2012. Is that when the Lord's coming back? And I said, who knows? We're always in the last days. Martha said to Jesus, if these are the last days, I know that my brother will soon live again on the resurrection day. What people didn't know then were, and were about to find out was that the resurrection wasn't so much a day or an event. It was a person. And in Jesus, the resurrection day was already present in their midst. He had already been working resurrection miracles in their lives as people who were dead because of the sin and despair and hopelessness in their lives were raised from their sinful ways to new ways of living. And what Jesus did to Lazarus that day showed people that in Jesus we will always find resurrection to new life here and now. I am resurrection and I am life, Jesus said. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. It should be remembered that the raising of Lazarus from death was the straw that broke the camel's back as far as Jesus' enemies were concerned. This miracle steeled their resolve to put Jesus to death one way or the other. And so in a lot of ways it could be said that Jesus quite literally gave his life for Lazarus. He soon was to give him, himself up for all of us. Just as Jesus is the resurrection, so also is he judgment day. Those who believe in him are not judged, we are told in John 3, 18. So on this All Saints Day, we remember that Jesus can still be found with us when we find ourselves grieving over the passing of one of his children, a saint of God. They are saints because Jesus was their judgment day and God has sanctified them by the death of Jesus. And when they died, like Lazarus, they heard a loud voice calling their name, Come forth. And one day, you and I will be blessed to hear our names called because Jesus took our judgment day for us. 
And on the day of our death, we will hear a voice call our names, followed by the words, come forth. And we will come out of our graves to live forever with Jesus in glory because Jesus is resurrection and life. Amen.